Welcome to this week's Catechism class, which is based on Lord's Day 52, question 128 and 129. And that means that we have reached the very end of the Catechism, and sadly, the end of our lessons. It has taken us over three years to examine the teachings of the Catechism, and all those lessons are still online for future reference. You can access them on demand in the podcast archives. Go to www.semper-reformata.com forward slash podcast. That's www.semper-reformata.com forward slash podcast. Or search for the Semper Reformata podcast in your search engine. Thank you for listening and for learning together. May the Lord continue to increase your faith and your knowledge of him, and may he keep you in his love in the days that lie ahead. And now, let's listen to our very last lesson from the Heidelberg Catechism. Welcome to our weekly catechism class. This lesson is a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help us to learn Christian doctrine with a warm and a practical application. Every lesson has an accompanying study guide. The web link to find that guide is in the episode notes. Click the link. Now, let's start the class and learn the lessons. So welcome to our Catechism class. Today we're looking at the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 52, the second part of that Lord's Day. And we're going to talk about the last word. I want to read a verse to you from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, in fact, three verses. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 to verse 13. We hear God's word. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13 And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The last two questions in the Catechism concern the ending to the Lord's Prayer. It's controversial for some denominations who say the Lord's Prayer as a regular part of a weekly liturgy will include this coda. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. But others omit it. It's in the biblical text in Matthew, but it's not in Luke. Some people claim that it wasn't part of the original prayer, but is a liturgical conclusion summarising the content of the prayer and based on 
1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 11 to 13. It's more likely that these are two separate occasions. The Matthew account and the Luke account referring to different times. For in Matthew, Jesus is teaching his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. While in Luke, he has been praying, which then prompts his disciples to ask him to teach them to pray also. Matthew Henry concludes that the differences in the two Gospels is a key indication that we should be careful not to use the prayer rigidly, like a set prayer, but rather to make it the pattern of our daily prayers. So what does our instructor in the Heidelberg Catechism teach us about the ending to the Lord's Prayer? The Heidelberg Catechism question 128 asks the question, how do you end your prayer? And the answer is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. So in the Lord's Prayer we have brought many basic needs before the Lord already in this prayer taught by Jesus to his disciples. We have acknowledged that God is our Heavenly Father whose name is already holy. We have prayed for the extension of his kingdom in this world and in the next. We have prayed that people would surrender their lives to his sovereign will and purpose. We've asked God to supply our most basic needs, not that we would become rich or that we would gain advantage over others, but that we would have just enough for to live comfortably and without hunger and distress each day of our lives. We've asked for forgiveness for our sins, admitting that we sin daily, for while we have God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us, we possess hearts that deceive us are continually our enemies. And we need constant examination of our hearts and lives, and a daily humble, repentant life. As a response to the forgiveness that we have freely obtained in Christ, we willingly and wholeheartedly offer that forgiveness to others. And we have asked that God would help us with our daily temptations, and lead us in his paths, and deliver us from the evil one. That's a lot of prayer. So how do we know that God will even answer these prayers? In Romans chapter 10 and verse 11 to 13, the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The insurance that God answers our prayers comes to us in this coda for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever we know that god will answer our prayers because he is our king we know that god will answer our prayers because he is all-powerful in jeremiah 32 and verse 27 
we read, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? There is nothing too difficult for God. Whatever your need is, bring it before the Lord in prayer, knowing that with God all things are possible. We know that he will answer our prayers because he is eternal. If I make you a promise, I would hope that I would keep it. And I would go to great lengths to be able to keep that promise as best I could within the will of God. But I'm mortal. I may make a serious promise, fully intending to keep it, and the Lord may have other plans for me, may even take me from this scene of time. When we were young, we went to a meeting some Lord's Day evenings, a very solemn meeting. And when they made the announcements for the incoming week, they would always add the qualification that these announcements are made subject to the will of the Lord, if the Lord be not come, and if he hath not called. But God can keep his promises, because unlike us, he is always there for us. He is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He never changes. He never dies. So when we say forever, it assures us that the Lord will be able to hear our prayers because he is eternal. You should read 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 56. He answers our prayers because he is our king and because he is all-powerful and because he is eternal and because he is willing. We do not come to God our Father as if we're resting some favour from an unwilling parent wanting him to part with some meagre blessing for us. God wants to abundantly bless us. He wants us to have our prayers answered. John chapter 14 and verse 13 says, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. But be careful. We have already learned that we're not to ask for access or to ask for personal advantage. We must ask according to his will. And when we do, God our Father is willing always to bless us with his answer. He answers our prayers because he is our king, because he is all-powerful, because he is eternal, because he is willing, and because he is able to answer. Jude verse 24 and 25 contains his doxology. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. He is able. I wonder, are you old enough to remember the Zeebrugge ferry disaster? The MV Herald of Free Enterprise was a Townsend Torrenson roll-on, roll-off car ferry. And it capsized moments after leaving the Belgian port of Zeebrugge on the evening of the 6th of March 1987, killing 193 people, both passengers and crew. There were many stories of bravery that night, but my favourite among them was the story of the serviceman 
who was returning home to the UK on the ferry that night. When the ferry turned over on its side, this brave man took hold of a little baby who had become separated from its parents. He gripped the baby with his teeth by the nappy, and using his hands, he climbed up the furniture and the seating in the lounge of the stricken ship, until he struggled out into the open side of the ship where they were both rescued. The baby was saved because his rescuer was able to lift him. I was thinking, it's a good job he had teeth. He was willing to risk his own life to plunge into the water to rescue the baby and to struggle up the chairs. He was powerful enough, willing enough, and he was able to do it. When we pray, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, we are acknowledging that our Heavenly Father is powerful enough, willing enough, and able enough to hear our cry and to rush to our rescue. Oh, on a side note, the little baby who was rescued from the Herald of Free Enterprise was orphaned that night. His or her parents were lost in the cruel sea, but her rescuer didn't just save her from death that night, he gave her new life. He later adopted the child and became his or her father. Now there's a sermon illustration, if ever there was one. on to question 129. What does the word Amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain, for God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. I was working on one of many crossword puzzles that I like to do when I'm relaxing. The clue was obvious, at least it seemed that way to me. The last word, four letters. It could only be one thing. Amen. What does our instructor teach us? Amen is the last word in most prayers, and it is often the appropriate response at an act of corporate worship when someone has been publicly praying and others want to express agreement. That's been the practice of the church in corporate worship from the very earliest times. Correcting the faulty pneumatology of the Corinthians, the misunderstanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, Paul warns them that if they speak in an unknown language in public worship, how can those who are visiting the church, those who are uneducated in that language, agree with them and thus say, Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 16. And just for a little bit of expansion, I'm reading from the Amplified Version of the Bible. Otherwise, if you bless and give thanks to God in the Spirit only, how will any outsider or someone who is not gifted in spiritual matters say the Amen of agreement to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying? The Catechist expands, so be it, Amen, to show us that when we say Amen, we demonstrate certainty and objectivity. Certainty 
and that we have been taught that Amen means so be it. It is true and certain that God will hear us and answer us. There's a wonderful verse in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 24 says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. We know with certainty that God has heard our prayer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God by us. Certainty and objectivity. Our trust in God is not subject to human feelings. It's really hard for 21st century people to believe something objectively. We've seen an example of that in the past week or so. When Meghan Markle was giving her interview with Oprah and she talked about her truth, subjective truth. Now we've been conditioned by the culture to rely on how we feel rather than what is factually true, even to the extent that we will put our feelings above science, above biology. Shania Twain's song, Man, I Feel Like a Woman, has taken on a whole new meaning. The Christian should never rely on his or her personal feelings, because we know that our heart is deceitful, and it will lead us astray. So we trust in the facts, facts given to us by God our Creator and God our Saviour in His Word, His objective revelation. And we're taught in the scriptures that even if we go so far as to think that it is unlikely that God will hear our prayers and we actually fall into disbelief in that respect, God still remains faithful. He does not change and his will remains certain. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13 says that even if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So we know that God will answer our prayers. We know that God will always remain faithful, not because of our subjective feelings, but because of what we know from the scriptures, that he has promised to hear us and to answer us according to his will. So when we pray, or when we hear others pray a prayer we can agree with, let us say a hearty and heartfelt Amen. So be it, Lord. And when you say that, Amen, remember God has much more certainly heard my prayer than I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. finally, a prayer from Matthew Henry. For as much as we know that he hears us in everything we ask, according to his will, in faith we have the requests that we have asked of him, and we will glory in his praise. Now we know that the Lord hears his anointed, and for his sake will answer us from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. And therefore, in token not only of our desire, 
but of our assurance to be heard in Christ's name, we say Amen. Amen. Amen.